This Notre Dame season has been filled with surprises, disappointments, highs and lows. But what have we been able to learn through the first eight games? That's coming up next. You are Locked On Irish, your daily podcast on the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome to Locked On Irish, your daily Notre Dame podcast. Today is Monday, October 23rd, so thank you for getting your week started here by making Locked On Irish your first listen of the day. I'm your host, Tyler Wojak. I'm a Notre Dame alum and producer covering college football for Fox Sports. And this episode of Locked On Irish is brought to you by Prize Picks. Go to prizepicks.com slash locked on college and use code locked on college for a first deposit match up to $100. Today kind of feels like an off-season episode, to be honest with you, because I'm recording this on Sunday night, and usually this is reserved for game recap, reaction, and takeaways from the day before. But obviously, with Notre Dame being on a bye week, that's not going to happen this week. So as I was trying to figure out what I was going to talk about on the show today, it brought me back to a lot of episodes I did during the offseason when I was thinking about different preview segments I could do for the season. And I started to think back and look back at some of the notes I had from those earlier episodes. And I got a kick out of some of my predictions and stuff, things that I thought would happen, interviews I had with different people and their predictions and stuff like that. So I was like, you know what? Let's go back and revisit those a little bit and figure out what we've learned about this Notre Dame team through the first day game. Some of it is sort of affirmation of our beliefs going into the season, and then there's like the surprises that we didn't see coming. But I'm going to get into this, uh, the lessons from the offense and the defense, uh, and then in the end I'll get into some questions that I hope we'll get the answer to over the course of these next five games. But I want to start off with a big-picture takeaway from this season, and it's that Marcus Freeman, to me, has proven that he's improving as a head coach. I think that's evident through the first eight games, but he's still got a lot of room to grow, maybe even more than we thought he did going into this season because we all talked about the growing pains and things like that that we expected from Marcus Freeman being a first-time head coach, learning on the job at a place where learning on the job isn't really acceptable. The expectations are extremely high for every head coach, no matter what they were doing prior to taking that job. But that was sort of the risk when Notre Dame promoted Marcus Freeman to head coach. And there's been a lot of good this season. Notre Dame is 6-2. and two. The team started out extremely hot, and that's pretty difficult. I know that Notre Dame had an easy schedule to start the year going up against Navy, Tennessee State, and then NC State, who is not the team that we thought they would be. But the way that Notre Dame was clicking uh, was really impressive to start the year, especially against Navy on the road. Uh, Navy always presents problems to Notre Dame, and Notre Dame just dominated them from beginning to end in that one. And then even NC State, who... They might have one of the worst offenses in the Power Five, but they have a really good defense. Notre Dame was able to put up 45 on the road in that one and just their third game uh, just two weeks after Ireland. So I thought that was really good. And then, you know, in that Ohio State game, Marcus Freeman had the team ready to go. They had a great game plan. They had a bunch of opportunities to win that game. And based off of what Ohio State showed against Penn State this past Saturday, Ohio State is a really, really good football team. They are definitely one of the best teams in the entire country. And Notre Dame had them on the ropes. Credit to Marcus Freeman and the staff for getting them ready to go for that one. But we have to talk about how that game ended. And that's sort of the downside of Marcus Freeman as a head coach. We're going to be talking about that 10 men debacle for the rest of our lives. So I'm not going to rehash it all again, but it is what it is. It's inexplicable. It's inexcusable. And Marcus Freeman is going to have to live with that for a while. Beyond that, the letdown against Louisville was also inexcusable. And close losses happen in college football and teams 
have bad games against far inferior competition. Just look at this past weekend in college football. Washington really struggled against Arizona State at home. Texas almost lost to Houston. Oklahoma almost lost to UCF. Like, it's not crazy to think that good teams are going to be playing uh, close games against bad teams. Louisville's much better than a bad team. I know they lost to Pitt, but still, the way that they just practically no-showed in that one, even though it was a primetime game against a ranked opponent, that was... That was shocking. It wasn't as bad as like the Marshall or Stanford game uh, from 2022, but those cannot happen. Like if Notre Dame lost a close one, that's a lot more forgivable than what they did in that game. It was just a really embarrassing effort, and that starts at the top. But then he was able to get the team ready to bounce back and dominate USC, and that was very impressive. I know USC just lost this past weekend, but they still have the reigning Heisman Trophy winner. They shut down that offense, and they won that game going away. Considering what the vibe was around the program going into that week, very impressive of Marcus Freeman to do that. So there's been some highs, there's been some lows, but I think we can look at what he has done uh, as a whole this season and say, okay, he's improving, the team is headed in the right direction, but he definitely has to work out some things in the week leading up in terms of the preparation and then certainly game management on Saturday. So that's my first takeaway that we've learned this season. Next up, I think it's uh, it's actually underrated what Notre Dame was able to do in the transfer portal this offseason to drastically improve the roster. And I understand the stigma around Notre Dame, and hell, I've probably perpetuated some of it and how Notre Dame has not been able to be as active as they should be in the transfer portal, given the admissions restrictions and all of that. While that may be true, and that Notre Dame definitely needs to figure out the undergraduate transfer situation. They did a fantastic job picking up grad transfers this offseason and look no further than Sam Hartman, who was the biggest addition of all, the quarterback. It's obvious he was the best quarterback in the transfer portal that Notre Dame could get because you know they weren't getting Shador Sanders. You can make the case that Shador is a better quarterback than Sam, but Notre Dame got the best option there, and he has been so important to the team this season. I know that the offense has been slow, uh, sluggish lately, and Sam Hartman hasn't been, you know, putting up a bunch of stats or anything like that. I think that's a product of the system, the offensive coordinator, the game plan. I'll get into that in a second. But I still believe he's a top 10 quarterback in college football. And if Notre Dame did not have Sam Hartman, they're probably looking at a four and four record. I think you could chalk up a loss to uh, Duke for sure if they didn't have Sam Hartman because they almost lost with him and Sam Hartman had to put on the cape on that last drive and basically win that game by himself. And I think you can make the case that they probably lose either NC State or maybe even USC with Steve Angeli as the quarterback. Either way, Sam Hartman has drastically improved this Notre Dame roster this season. He's been as advertised. And then Thomas Harper, the nickelback, you can't take him off the field on defense. He's been great in coverage. He's been a bulldog in the run game. He's only allowed 18 catches and one touchdown in coverage, and he's had 28 tackles two pass breakups, um, a couple sacks. Like, he's been phenomenal so far this year. He did miss that game against Louisville, and you felt his absence in that one. For the most part, he's been able to stay healthy. Javante Jean-Baptiste, the transfer from Ohio State, he's been incredible. I w- I'm really surprised at how well he's played so far this season, just given the fact that we didn't really see much of him in the spring or hear that much about him in fall camp. He's been great for Notre Dame. He's been an absolute force on the edge. He's second on the team in pressures. Has a sack, forced that first interception that Caleb Williams threw uh, in the first half of that game. So I think he's been great this year. He played phenomenal against Ohio State, and it was so upsetting to see him so emotional after the game playing against his former team and to come up short in that one. That was devastating. They also added Devin Ford and Antonio Carter. I'm not going to chalk those up as misses right now because it felt like those two players, uh, they were more of like two-year 
uh, players where basically the first year they weren't going to get as much time given the guys in front of them. But I do think Antonio Carter still has a bright future at Notre Dame. And next year he'll be able to get a little bit more playing time once he's learned the position a little bit more because he's a corner transitioning to safety. So I, I have high hopes for him. Devin Ford I'm a little bit unsure of as in terms of like his running back ability. But I think as a special teams player, he's been really good this season. And then there's the obvious miss with Caleb Smith, the Virginia Tech wide receiver transfer who quit the team during spring practice. And that actually leads me to my next takeaway because the wide receiver room is on the rise, but they desperately needed help in the transfer portal this offseason, and they didn't get it. They did add Caleb Smith, but he was gone just a few weeks later. And right now, the receiver situation is grim, and it feels like this has been the conversation about the wide receivers for the the past two-plus years, basically. Right now, they really only have three fully healthy, or at least fully healthy as far as we know, scholarship wide receivers, and one of them is a former walk-on lacrosse player who I think picked up a scholarship a couple weeks ago in Jordan Faison. The other is a converted running back in Chris Tyree. And then the third one is Rico Flores, a true freshman. That is not a great state, a great place to be in for Notre Dame. Um, Jane Greathouse, Jane Thomas, and Tobias Merriweather are all dealing with nagging hamstring injuries. Jane Greathouse and Jane Thomas both missed a game. Merriweather saw his um, participation decrease in the USC game because he's also dealing with a hamstring. Then you got Matt Salerno and Deion Colsey, who both suffered serious injuries that have kept them out for the majority of this season. And if you look at it, you know, big picture here, missing on one transfer happens. Um, You know, it happens to every team in the country. You're not going to bat a thousand when you're adding guys in the transfer portal, and you're not going to do that when you're recruiting guys out of high school either. It's not realistic, but... Notre Dame needed at least two grad transfer wide receivers this season. They got one, and they missed on one, so that's a loud miss. And they honestly needed two the year prior, and they didn't get any. So that's an obvious miss as well. The future is bright with Notre Dame's wide receiver room. I don't want to say that it's not. It's definitely trending in the right direction. I have a lot of high hopes for the true freshmen who are currently on the roster and the guys coming in, especially Cam Williams and Mikey Gilbert. But Notre Dame needs at least two transfers at wide receiver in the portal this offseason who can seriously contribute because it's too much to expect that all the true freshmen are going to be elite playmakers as sophomores and that these true freshmen coming in, these high school prospects, are going to be ready to go uh, and be consistent for the full year because even though Rico Flores has flashed at times this year, Jane Greathouse has as well, it does seem like they've hit a bit of a rookie wall at this point now because they haven't been like the go-to consistent targets that they were at the beginning of the season. So those are some big picture takeaways as it relates to the offseason, how that's impacted Notre Dame during the season. But there's a couple individual performances that have really stood out this year, and those are coming up right after this. Now it's time for your Game Changer of the Week, brought to you by the Athletic Brewing Company. Much like Sam Hartman has done for the Notre Dame football program, Athletic Brewing has completely changed the non-alcoholic beer game. They make non-alcoholic beers that actually taste good. They're full of flavor and well-crafted, just like a full-strength beer. You can find Athletic Brewing Company's non-alcoholic brews at a store near you or buy online at athleticbrewing.com. First-time customers can use code LOCKEDON to get 15% off your first online order. That's code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N at checkout for 15% off at athleticbrewing.com. Near beer, exclusions and conditions apply. Athletic Brewing Company fit for all times. Before we move on, this is a reminder to please like the video below and subscribe to the channel if you're watching on YouTube or if you're listening to the podcast. I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate the show five stars, leave a review, and of course, subscribe. All right, let's get back into it. What else have we learned about this Notre Dame team through eight games? In the first segment, I said that Sam Hartman has been as advertised. 
I don't think the offensive line unit has been as advertised. They have not lived up to the extremely high expectations that we had for them going into this season, and it hasn't all been bad. The group was on the midseason honor roll for, for the Joe Moore Award, which is given out to the best offensive line unit in the country, which means that people who understand offensive line play way better, and I mean way better than I do, believe that Notre Dame has one of the top 25 offensive line units in the country. So that's good. But at Notre Dame, that's not really cutting it, especially this year when you have a surefire first-round draft pick playing left tackle in Joe Wall. He could potentially be a top 10, maybe even a top 5 pick going into next, uh, going into the NFL draft. So you think when you have an elite player playing the most important position on the offensive line and considering how well Notre Dame has recruited on the offensive line in recent years, everyone thought that this unit was going to be one of, if not the best units in the entire country, and that just has not been the case so far this season. Joe Alt, he's lived up to all of his expectations. No notes for Joe Alt. He's been incredible. But Zeke Carell at center has been pretty up and down this season. I thought he had a good start to the year, then had a really bad game against Duke, got benched against Louisville, then came back, was able to improve a little bit against USC. He had a really difficult assignment going up against Bear Alexander, but he hasn't been the consistent force in the interior that a lot of people were hoping he would be uh, going into the season. And then the inexperience at guard has certainly shown itself at different times this year between Pat Coogan and Rocco Spindler. I'm not saying they've played poorly, but when you are starting two guys who had coming into the season never started a game in college before, you're going to deal with some growing pains, and Notre Dame certainly has with those two guys. And then at right tackle, this has probably been the biggest disappointment uh, of the group, at least for me. Blake Fisher has not played to the level that we thought he would. Going into the season, we talked about Joe Alt and Blake Fisher being the best offensive tackle tandem in college football. Joe Alt has done his part. Blake Fisher has not. There could be a bunch of different reasons for that. Some people believe that he's playing through an injury. Maybe that's the case. I just don't know. I I can just point to the fact that I thought he'd be dominant at right tackle, and he has not been. He's been good. He's extremely athletic. He can really move for a guy his size, but maybe he lost a little bit too much weight in the offseason. I don't know. I'm just, you know reaching and guessing here, but it could be the case. Maybe next year he bulks up a little bit. I don't know. Um, I don't think he's going to leave for the NFL draft after the season. I think he has a lot more to prove at the college level, but looking at the unit as a whole, it just hasn't been as good as we thought it uh, would be. And I think that's a big reason why Notre Dame wasn't able uh, to get that win against Louisville and maybe ice the game against Ohio State. So that has been sort of disappointing, but on the inverse of that, there's Mitchell Evans, who has exceeded all expectations for him going into the season. At one point, I did a segment in the preseason where I think I was answering a mailbag question about who is going to be the next great Notre Dame tight end, and I went through the entire depth chart, and I believe I picked Eli Raritan as a guy who would eventually be in the likes of like a Kyle Rudolph, Michael Mayer, Tyler Eifert, Cole Komet, the list goes on and on. But given Eli Raritan's physical stature, six foot six, elite athlete, all that, I thought he would be the best receiver. And at that point, all we had really seen from Mitchell Evans was that he's a really effective run blocker, basically playing the counterpart to Michael Mayer throughout uh, all of last season. But really all he did was block up until the Gator Bowl when he had three catches, including the game winner there at the end. But there was nothing really from what we had seen on Saturdays that would suggest that he would be an elite uh, pass catcher as, as the tight end. And so far, He's been unbelievable, man. He is the leading receiver on the Scenarium team, which isn't ideal, but that's just what it is. He has 24 catches for 356 yards. But what's most impressive to me is that he has 125 yards after the catch. So he's 
pretty elusive with the ball in his hands. He's able to get upfield, get those extra yards, and then once he's got guys on him, he is really difficult to bring down. So it has been great to see. Now all of a sudden we got to worry about Mitchell Evans potentially entering the NFL draft after the season. I don't think he will. I think that if he comes back next season, he could potentially be a candidate for the Mackey Award. But the fact that we're even having this conversation right now is pretty crazy to me and something I would never have guessed going into this season. So ton of credit to him for all the work that he's put in. He's also dealt with some injuries this season, and he's just had a phenomenal year. A couple other guys who've had phenomenal years, Cam Hart and Benjamin Morrison. I think we've learned that Notre Dame's cornerback room is the best it's been in at least two decades. We, we could make the comparison between the 2002 cornerback tandem led by Shane Walton, but I really want to just focus on what Benjamin Morrison and Cam Hart have done this season because it's incredible. Let's start with Cam Hart because... I, I look at his stats right now, and it still blows me away. So he's been on the field for 407 snaps this season. He has only been targeted 19 times. Teams just aren't throwing to him, which is why he doesn't have an interception, and he only has one pass breakup. The guys he's covering aren't open, and offenses aren't trying him. And they shouldn't, because when they do try him, they haven't had a ton of success. He's only allowed eight catches on those 19 targets, 494 yards, and he hasn't given up a touchdown this season. Absolutely terrific play from Cam Hart. He is making himself a lot of money this season. It was a great decision by him to come back for his fifth year, and uh, I, I am just so happy for him because he's had to deal with a lot in his career at Notre Dame, and he is really putting it all together this year, and it's been great to see. And then there's his counterpart, Benjamin Morrison, who's played 441 snaps. He's been targeted 33 times. He's only given up 17 catches for 160 yards, but he's added two interceptions, and he's had five pass breakups. He's given up a few touchdowns, but Benjamin Morrison is a surefire first or second round NFL draft pick once he comes out uh, after his junior year. Like, it is so great that Notre Dame has him for one more year. He is such a physical cornerback. So is Cam Hart as well. That's something that Notre Dame really prioritizes. Um, in the corners that they recruit and bring over. And I'm not used to seeing Notre Dame have not just one great cornerback, but two. And it just changes the way that Notre Dame can play defense. And you also have to consider who they're going up against. They absolutely shut down Marvin Harrison Jr. And look at what Marvin Harrison Jr. just did to Penn State. 11 receptions for 162 yards. And in four out of the last five games, he's had at least 100 yards receiving. The one game that he didn't was against Notre Dame. And I know he suffered that ankle injury in the second half, but still, Notre Dame held him in check for the entire time that he was out there. So also, they had a great game against USC um, going one-on-one with their wide receivers. And sure, they gave up some pass plays. Um, they gave up a couple of third downs and like that touchdown to Brendan Rice. Like, Technically, that's a touchdown on Benjamin Morrison, but he had to cover him for seven seconds because Caleb Williams is just running all over the field. And it's just been crazy to think that we had high expectations for this group going into the season, and I think they've exceeded all of them. Another guy who has certainly lived up to the offseason hype, Xavier Watts. He's become the playmaker Notre Dame really needed to complement those cornerbacks. He's fourth on the team in tackles with 36, leads the team with four interceptions, three pass breakups, and the dude is just a football player. Simple as that. He looked very comfortable with the ball in his hands uh, when he was picking up the fumble recovery and he had the interceptions against USC. I would have preferred that he didn't start showboating on his way to the touchdown and start slowing down at the five because he did almost fumble it. But those are just a few of his great plays. Like Obviously, that game against USC is an all-time performance, but I think back to that pass breakup he had against NC State where he basically flew over the wide receiver and batted the ball down on a critical third down that 
he somehow didn't interfere with him. And when they showed the play live, I was like, oh my God, it looked like he hit him. And he didn't. He managed to avoid any contact there. He also had a really impressive interception against Duke. So it might have taken a little bit before he really put his foot on the gas. But now you got to look at Xavier Watts as a top 10 player on this football team. And a guy who, assuming he sticks around next year, is going to be one of the best players on the entire defense. Because it's crazy to think he's still learning how to play safety. He's obviously shown that he's got a much better grasp of the position than he has in recent years, but with every snap that he plays on the field, he continues to learn more about the position, and he is just going to grow and get better and better as a football player. So really excited about his future, and I'll just come right out and say it. I was so wrong about the defensive line, and so were a lot of others who covered this Notre Dame team. Howard Cross is probably the best interior defensive lineman since Jerry Tillery. It's not even probably, he just is the best interior defensive lineman since Sherry Tillery. He has 45 tackles this season, one sacked, two forced fumbles, two passes defended. He leads the team with 19 quarterback hurries. He's not the biggest guy in the world, and that might hold him back a little bit in the NFL draft, but he is just a game wrecker in the middle of that defensive line, and teams really don't have an answer for him at this point. They have to double-team him, and he's just constantly making plays in the backfield. His game against Duke might be overshadowed by what Xavier Watts did against USC, but that's another all-time performance um, by a D-tackle, too. So it's rare that uh, defensive tackles get to really stuff the stat sheet, but Howard Cross has done it this season. Riley Mills continues to improve each week. He's playing his way in the NFL draft. We always knew that he had the physical traits, and he had you know, the combine numbers that would sort of just jump off the page, but he's starting to really show a level of consistency that we've not always seen with him, um, not just as a pass rusher, but also uh, as a force stopping the run as well. So that's been great to see. He's had two sacks this season, 13 quarterback hurries. I already talked about Javante Jean-Baptiste. He's been really solid. If there's been any disappointment about this group, it's that Jordan Botello has not taken the leap that we were hoping he would into being this like elite pass rusher. I think he's just been fine. He's been a good football player this year. He hasn't made the mistakes where you're like, what are you doing, Jordan, or anything like that, which is fine. I think that he could come back next year and develop a little bit more, and maybe he'll get closer to that type of player that we were hoping for going into the season. But he's not, he's not there yet, and that's fine. Um, he's certainly not a weak link or anything on the defensive line. And lastly, Al Golden has shown that he's still an excellent defensive coach. He'll get to decide what he wants to do in the future of this offseason. I'm not going to pretend like I know. He is a legend in the Northeast coaching circles. I do know that. Will Al Golden want to become a college head coach again? Maybe he's only 54 years old. I was actually surprised he's only 54 because that's not that old, and I thought he was much older. So if he wants to get back into that, I could see it. I don't know if he wants to be that involved in college recruiting anymore. So if he doesn't want to do that, I'm sure he's going to have some opportunities in the NFL. I don't know if he'll be offered a defensive coordinator job in the NFL, but given what this Notre Dame defense has done this season, it certainly wouldn't surprise me if he did. And hey, maybe he wants to come back to Notre Dame next year. They've got a lot of young talent on that defense. He's got a pretty pretty good thing going right now. He's making a couple million a year, uh, being the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame, and uh, he's been phenomenal this season. He, he has exceeded my expectations and a lot of other people as well. So I think that's what we've learned about this Notre Dame team through eight games. And now coming up next, we're going to do what questions I hope they'll answer over the course of these next four regular season games and then the bowl game. College football season is here, and this season, the Lockdown Podcast Network is kicking up our coverage with a new show called College Football Kickoff Live, which airs every Friday from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Eastern on every Lockdown College YouTube channel. College Football Kickoff Live will cover everything going on in the sport and go in-depth like only Lockdown can, including insight and analysis from our stable of college hosts covering their team every day. 
This episode of Lockdown Irish is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a skill based real money daily fantasy sports game where you pick two to six players and if they will do more or less than their Prize Picks projection, you can win up to 25 times your money on any entry. Price Picks adds a ton of excitement to the sports viewing experience because you can watch your progress update in real time, win up to 25 times your entry amount, and cash out your winnings with quick scoring, settling, and withdrawals. I've been playing Price Picks recently, and I have no idea why I waited so long. And what I love most about it is that you aren't competing against other people. It's just you versus the projections available instead of battling thousands of other players, including professionals and sharks. So go to PrizePicks.com slash LockedOnCollege and use code LockedOnCollege for a first deposit match up to $100. That's PrizePicks.com slash LockedOnCollege, code LockedOnCollege for a first deposit match up to $100. Price Picks daily fantasy sports, made easy. So as we start to look ahead here to Notre Dame's next five games, I have a few questions that I hope will get answered, and I think these will go a long way in determining what the future of the football program looks like. And there is no question, no person, no subject matter that is more important over the course of these next four games than Jared Parker. Can he get the offense to return to form and get them back to playing like we saw them play at the beginning of the season when they were putting up 40 points in pretty much every single game they played? I don't feel like I need to rehash all of the offense's problems as of late. We know the deal. We know it's been bad. Four games, really tough stretch there. Now, granted, in Jared Parker's defense, Notre Dame was going up against Duke and Ohio State, who have two of the best defenses in all of college football. Louisville's defense played amazing that night. Part of that, obviously, is the play of Notre Dame's offense as well. But then I look at that USC game and the fact that Notre Dame wasn't able to move the ball there, and then I'm watching Utah, who's coached by Andy Ludwig, who Notre Dame wanted to hire to begin with, over Jared Parker, and I'm seeing them make you know, quick work of that USC defense on multiple occasions with Bryson Barnes as their starting quarterback. And Barnes has been terrible at multiple points this year. So even though Notre Dame's offense did what they needed to against USC, they still left a lot to be desired in that game. And I'm really hoping that going up against these next four teams who are admittedly a lot easier than what Notre Dame has been playing uh, as of late when they go up against Pitt and Clemson, who just lost again to Miami without Tyler Van Dyke, and then Wake Forest and Stanford. If Notre Dame's offense isn't able to get going against these teams, and I'm not saying they need to come out and put up 40 on Pitt or anything like that, but if we don't see significant improvement from this offense, there's going to be a lot of questions for Marcus Freeman and what he's supposed to do with this offense going forward because I also expect at least one or maybe two of the assistants on the offensive staff to move on because they're just really good coaches. They're going to get great opportunities. I'm not going to go ahead and pick who right now, but you get what I'm saying here. So Marcus Freeman is going to have a decision to make, and I don't know how Marcus Freeman is going to evaluate Parker's performance if Notre Dame does go 10-2 this season because is it crazy to fire an offensive coordinator after going 10-2? Maybe. I don't know. But is Notre Dame going to go 10-2? We will have to see because my next question is, can this team avoid another letdown? Notre Dame should win out. They're better than every team they face the rest of their way uh, during the regular season. But will they? Pittsburgh is a feisty team. They beat Louisville. Clemson, I'm never going to count them out. I know they just lost. I don't know. Wake Forest, I don't know. Maybe they found something in their comeback win against Pitt. That was an insane game. But maybe there's going to be a lot of emotions given the fact that it's senior day for Notre Dame, Sam Harbin going up against his former team, and then Stanford, who... Notre Dame should win by like 70, but I can't not think about what happened last year. So one of the things that Marcus Freeman needed to show this season was that he would avoid 
any of those big letdowns, I'll give Louisville the benefit of the doubt because they were at least ranked. I'm saying losing against a team who you cannot lose to, like every team left on the schedule with maybe the exception of Clemson there. But if he's able to uh, lead this team to a 4-0 finish here, I think that'd be a great sign of improvement. Another question I have is, will the offensive line unit improve with more reps altogether? I'm so glad that Notre Dame wasn't rotating against USC. I wouldn't have a problem if Billy Shrouth just played his way onto the field by earning it in practice. Maybe that's the case. Maybe we see him get some reps away from uh, Rocco Spindler, Pat Coogan at left guard or right guard. We know that he's been cross-training there. So I wouldn't hate that. But Alt and Zeke Carell are gone after this year most likely. So Coogan, Spindler, and Blake Fisher have to show that they have what it takes to eventually become great offensive linemen because Notre Dame needs a great offensive line to get to where they want to go. These guys are probably going to be around next year and beyond. So I'd like to see significant improvement from those guys, and that's going to go a long way in determining my expectations for Notre Dame next season. And the last one I have here is who's going to be the biggest breakout player? Because if you think about this time last season, we were not talking about Benjamin Morrison as the player he is now and certainly as the player he was at the end of last season. He was a freshman All-American at the end of 2022. If you had told me that on October 22nd of 2022, I would have been like, dude, there's no way. There's no way that Benjamin Morrison is a freshman All-American. But then he really broke out, especially in that game against Clemson, and then he finished this season uh, exceptionally well. So who's going to be the player who has probably been in the mix but hasn't really solidified themselves as a great player this year? I think it could be Jadarian Price coming off that kickoff return for a touchdown. I think we could see him get a little bit more carries. I don't know if he's been on a pitch count or what coming off that Achilles injury, but I think we're going to see him a little bit more here at the end of the year. It could also be my love, the true freshman. He's second on the team in carries. Um, it feels like he's had so many opportunities where like he's about to break a long run. And yeah, he had that touchdown run against Tennessee State, but like whatever, Tennessee State. So could he do that maybe against Clemson in a big spot? We'll have to see. He had a great game against Ohio State, but hasn't really been able to play at that level in the time since. And then there's Bubakor Traore, who came in against USC, immediately gets a sack, forced fumble. Yes, he gets the penalty, but I was like, oh my God, look at that. We haven't seen pure pass rushing uh, talent like that at Notre Dame all season long. And the fact that he's a true freshman still figuring out how to play football, it's it. you can't help but get really excited about what he can do for Notre Dame in the future. So maybe he has more of a role at the end of the year where he comes in on third down, obvious passing situations to make some plays because Notre Dame needs a Viper like that. They honestly need like several of them, but if they can get one, uh, that's a good sign for the future. So Yes, Notre Dame is out of the playoff race, but there's still a lot to play for this season. Personally, if Notre Dame does go 10-2, and they win a New Year's Six game. I'm going to be really happy with that season. Yes, we'll be lamenting the Ohio State game, the Louisville game for years to come, but it's college football, man. It's really, really hard to go undefeated, especially when you play a schedule as difficult as the one Notre Dame has played this season. And I think these next four to five games with the bowl game, it's going to go a long way in determining how I look at the team next season and beyond. But that is going to do it for me today. Thanks again for making this your first listen of the day. For the everyday listeners, be sure to tune in to tomorrow's episode. Luke Smith and I are going to be doing uh, our midseason awards, even though I know it's not technically the midseason. The Irish still have four games left plus the bowl, so it's close enough. Five is close enough for me. If you have not subscribed already, please do so now on YouTube or wherever you're listening to the pod. You can also follow the show on social media. The Twitter slash X account is at Lockdown Irish. Instagram is at Lockdown Irish Pod. My personal Twitter account is at Tyler W O J C I A K. Same time, same place tomorrow. I'll see you then.